Judges chapter 6, verses 11 to 16. The angel of the Lord came down and sat under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abbasite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Thanks, Anne. Why don't you spend a couple of minutes turning to somebody, preferably somebody that you didn't come with, and rudely ask them a question and say, tell me about a time uh, that you felt uh, not qualified to do something, that you felt like you were doing something, but you didn't feel very good at it, you didn't feel like you were the qualified one to do it, but you had been asked and you were doing it. Why don't you do that for a couple of minutes now? Brilliant. Thank you so much for indulging me in that. I'm sure you have started to hear some amazing stories, some stuff, some funny stories. I'm sure I heard some laughing going on. Uh, feel free to keep that going uh, after the service. Tonight we're talking exactly about that, about somebody feeling called to do something that they didn't feel very qualified to do. Uh, my name's Josh. Uh, I get the privilege of working with students here at the church. I also oversee our stuff with Alpha. And tonight we're going to be looking at anti-heroes. We're going to be looking at a story that is um, it's so human, it's almost painful to read through. We only get a snippet of it at the very beginning, uh, but we're going to uh, explore the whole story of Gideon as we go through it tonight. But before we get to Gideon, I want to tell you about another anti-hero. I'm trying to relate this to me, I'm trying to relate this to modern time, I'm trying to make sense of it in the now. Uh, and there's an anti-hero that I love, and he... Uh, he and nothing about him tells you that he's a hero. Uh, he, when he goes outside, he, he's got like weather-induced um, asthma, so his mum never lets him play outside, so he's always ch -ch huffing on an, uh, an inhaler. I can relate to that. I used to have breathing problems when I was growing up. And also, he, he's got uh, these big train track braces. I used to have braces, these teeth. They don't come naturally. Um, he also, he's, he's young. He's young. Got, he's never really done anything with his life. Um, there's nothing about him that tells you he's qualified to be a hero, but he does become one. And it's a very young Sean Astin, the actor. It's not Lord of the Rings. It's earlier than that. And it's actually, it's Mikey from the Goonies. And we've got a picture I believe. There he is. Okay, so this one, this one here is Mikey. Not this guy on the left, the guy next to him. That's, that's Mikey. And Mikey is not a normal hero. 
In fact, when we first meet Mikey in the Goonies, I don't know if you've seen the Goonies, but growing up, the Goonies, it was the Goonies, Star Wars, and Indiana Jones. Those were the films for me, right? They, uh, they're the best films I've ever seen. I, I actually, my heart breaks for this generation. They didn't grow up with those movies. I'm sure every generation says that, but seriously, The Goonies is amazing. It's this amazing story of this band of heroes who get together to save their town. And it all starts with Mikey. And Mikey, at the very beginning, in fact, his very first line in the film is he's saying, oh, this town, nothing ever happens in this town. Do you know what? I'm glad that we have to leave this town. That's the threat. They have to leave their town because developers are coming to develop all over their town and everybody who lives there has to leave because they can't pay off the debt. So he's saying, I'm glad we have to leave. Nothing ever happens. This is boring. I've given up anyway. That's his opening line. But what we begin to learn is that Mikey, actually, he doesn't feel that way at all. In his heart, he doesn't want to go. And actually, because of circumstances and stuff that unfolds around him, he decides to take up the position of the hero. Despite all of the things that disqualify him, he becomes the hero of the story. It's amazing. It's a really brilliant story. And for me, that is a bit of like what Gideon is like in our passage. Gideon is an anti-hero. And he's living in a time filled where, where there are no heroes. Judges is this interesting book in the Old Testament which um, uh, details um, the story of God's chosen people. They've, they've left Egypt. They've left slavery. They're now in the promised land. But they, they're going through this strange cycle, this brutal cycle, where they keep turning away from God. They keep forgetting what God's done for them. And as a result, they face oppression from foreign enemies all of the time. So God raises up a leader, a judge from within the people of God to deliver them. And it's an amazing, amazing book, but it's brutal because they keep getting it wrong. They keep getting it wrong. And we find Gideon right at the beginning of one of these moments of getting it wrong. And if you want to know what the people of God are like at this time, you only have to look at Gideon. Gideon is the perfect example of where the people of God are at. He's fearful. He's a bit of a coward. He's a mistake maker. And he's in a hole. The people of Israel at the time, they're being oppressed from all around them. These old foreign enemies, the Midianites and the Amalekites. And every time they grow crops or every time they have anything of worth, this enemy swoops in and steals it. So they're afraid. So instead of living in the rich uh, valleys, they're living up in the mountainsides, in caves and in clefts of rock. And here we find Gideon at the beginning of this story. Gideon is in a hole. He's in a wine press. Wine press is a hole in the ground, but he's threshing wheat, which is an odd task to do in a wine press. Threshing wheat, you would usually do it in a big open space. It's when you're separating the good bits of wheat from the bad, the wheat from the chaff. But he's doing it in a hole. Well, he's doing it in a hole because he's afraid. Because he's afraid of the enemy swooping in and taking what he has. He's full of fear. He, like Mikey, has given up. He, like Mikey, thinks this is his lot. It's survival. That's it. His hole is his favorite place. So why is he in the pages of history? Why do we find him in the Bible? In fact, in the book of Judges, as far as we're aware, he's the only one who actually meets God face to face. He's one of the few people throughout the entire Bible that meets God face to face. Why is this fearful coward 
suddenly this incredible figure. Well, throughout the story of Gideon, what happens next and beyond our passage is he, he hears from the Lord that he's been chosen to deliver God's people. And he goes on this amazing journey, which starts off timid, starts off full of doubt. He questions God, tests God, challenges God, wrestles with God, but then eventually delivers the people away from the Midianites, defeats the enemy. And it's an amazing, amazing story, and I do recommend you read it. God does a great thing through him. But our passage tonight is about how it all starts. And there are three things that I I can see that's going on here which are quite interesting to me. The first thing is the title of our sermon series. God appears as a stranger in the ordinary. God God appears as a stranger into the ordinary. Here we have Gideon, threshing wheat, doing his work, surviving. It's a normal day for Gideon. And suddenly, out of nowhere, a stranger appears and says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And here's Gideon working, no idea who the stranger is, doesn't even respond with the customary response of the time, The Lord is with you and also with you. No, in fact, he responds with a bit of sarcasm, a bit of frustration. We can feel his disbelief. He says, Lord, what were you on about, Lord? There's no Lord. Who is this Lord that you speak about? I heard my ancestors tell stories about this Lord, but we haven't seen the Lord in this land in a while now. There is no Lord. He's given up. He's defeated. I believe that God appears to him as a stranger so that God gets the honest Gideon. If Gideon knew from the moment, from moment one, that that was the Lord speaking to him, he might be a bit more, oh Lord, yes Lord, yes Lord, sorry Lord, yes you are the Lord, yes that's right Lord. Instead actually, because the Lord wants truth and honesty in relationship, he appears as a stranger so that Gideon might give him what he really feels. That actually he doesn't believe God's there. That his circumstances all around him actually don't tell him anything that God is at work. And he appears in the ordinary, in the middle of his working day. You know, sometimes we think that um, it's in settings like this, or at conferences, or at special nights, that we hear the voice of the Lord. And we get that message, and we get that calling, and that's when we're going to know what our purpose is. But actually, there's a pattern that occurs in the Bible time and time again. When God is telling his people his plans and his purposes for their life, it often, often happens in the most ordinary, mundane places. Moses was feeding sheep in the desert when he saw the burning bush. Simon Peter was mending nets when Jesus called him. The Samaritan woman was just fetching water when she met the man who transformed her life forever. It's in the ordinary that God speaks to us. It's in the unrecognizable. It's in the places that we don't expect. It's the surprising paradox of the kingdom. But God is speaking through every corner of society and life. He's trying to speak to you. He's trying to call you into his plans and purposes because they're good and they're perfect. Because he wants to do a great thing through you. Because he wants to do a great thing through you. God appears as a stranger in the ordinary. And this is a side note, but something that I found interesting. And take, take it or leave it. But the pattern of God speaking to us in the ordinary also seems to be, there also seems to be a pattern that God speaks to, to people in the Bible while they're at their workplace. 
take it as you will. But sometimes when we go to work, whatever your work is, it might be uni or it might be school or it might be work, nine to five, an actual job. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> but God, sometimes we think, oh, we need to put our work hat on now. Okay, I'll put my Sunday hat on when it's Sunday. I'll put my family hat on when I come home at five. And I'll put my work hat on at 9 a.m. Monday morning. But God's saying, no, 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 no. I want to speak to you in your ordinary. I encourage you, even in your workplace, God wants to do a great thing through you. The second thing I notice is that God speaks life into the whole. Gideon is a coward. He's not somebody I want to, it's not somebody I would call a hero. He's not somebody I want to get behind. He's not a leader that inspires me. He's in a flipping hole. I mean, he wants to do this job, which is threshing wheat, but he's not even doing it in the best place. Like, I wouldn't even trust him to do a job. Who is this Gideon? And yet the first thing that God says to him is he calls him a mighty warrior. You see, sometimes we get it in our heads that we think we need to get everything sorted before God is going to use us, before God could possibly use us. If that were true, the church would have died a long time ago. I don't have everything sorted Libby doesn't have everything sorted. Paul doesn't have everything sorted. Dave doesn't have everything sorted. There's no person in this life that has it all sorted. Yet there are, there are many that God is raising up and using to do great things. Just because they say yes. Gideon, while he was still a coward, while he was still fearful, while he was still hiding in a hole, God called him a mighty warrior because God sees us as our true destiny. He speaks to us. He speaks to our true identity. He doesn't speak to our mess. He doesn't speak to our doubt. He speaks to who he made us to be. He doesn't say, Gideon, you're an idiot in a hole, threshing wheat. He says, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior, and the Lord is with you. God speaks life into the whole. The third thing that he does is he's patient with Gideon's no, but he's unrelenting nonetheless. Gideon, I find it quite funny. The, um, you can tell that it was um, some lovely, uh, posh English people that uh, translated the Bible when uh, Gideon's responses are the um, very tempered, uh, pardon me, my lord, Somehow I, I, I can't quite believe that that's actually how he would have spoken. But nonetheless, Gideon is full of doubt. Would you be pardon me, my Lord? Where is God? God doesn't exist. God isn't around here. When God calls him a mighty warrior, Gideon says, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. He's trying to get out of it. What are you talking about? I couldn't do it. No, you're wrong. You're definitely wrong. No, 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 no. God is patient with his no. If you continue to read the story, Gideon actually then starts to challenge God and says, well, okay, well, if you're God, I'm going to lay out a fleece and then I don't want it to get wet and then I'm going to do it again and I do want it to get wet with the morning dew and all this kind of stuff. Prove to me that you're God. And God is patient and willing. The King of kings, all hail King Jesus, the Lord of lords, is patient with Gideon's no. 
Because sometimes God believes in us more than we believe in us. Because God's commitment to his plans and his purposes, God's commitment to his people is greater than we could ever fathom or understand. So he'll wait sometimes till we're ready. Out of grace, out of kindness. But he is unrelenting. God uses the least. God uses the least. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my family. If Gideon is a picture of what Israel are like at the moment, Gideon himself reinforces that not only is he weak and fearful, but he's the weakest and the most fearful. He's the lowest of the low. He is the least. And yet God is speaking to him and saying, you are going to be a mighty warrior. You're going to deliver my people. In your strength, I'm going to go with you and we're going to change history. God uses the least. He does it throughout the Bible. He does it throughout the world all of the time. Moses was a murderer. Deborah, the judge before Gideon, in a patriarchal society, uses a woman to deliver his people. Paul, a violent dictator, becomes one of the greatest missionaries that we've ever known in history, wrote most of the New Testament. And then there are people I know in my life. I have a friend called Ryan from Northern Ireland. He spent time in and out of young offenders' institutions all the time, grew up in paramilitary families, spent time stealing cars and doing drugs, gave his life to the Lord, and now does amazing things, helps lead a church in Northern Ireland. Another friend of mine, David, uh, amazing musician, um, got hooked on drugs, kind of destroyed his life, uh, found God, gave his life to Jesus, gave his addictions to Jesus, uh, now does amazing work in this city with homeless people and vulnerable people, mentoring them, coming alongside them, giving his life to them, showing them Jesus. We had a funeral yesterday for a, a really, truly beloved member of our family, Ray, and Ray's story is an amazing story of how God uses the least. Ray spent so much of his life drinking, taking drugs, going to jail. He used to break into this church and steal stuff. And then he gave his life to Jesus. And there were over 200 people at his funeral yesterday. People from way back when in his story and people from the last year in his story, because of the way he impacted lives and spread the love of God, transformed people. God uses the least. My godmother, she grew up in a very broken home, abandoned by her parents, sent off to care, very messed up background. She now leads a church in London. She gave her life to Jesus. She gave her life to the plans and purposes of God. She said yes to becoming a mighty warrior. She heard the call and she crawled out of the hole. God uses the least. But how do we bring this passage into a modern context? The reason why I love this story of Gideon, all of this, this bit here at the beginning is amazing. The next bit's amazing. He tears down altars in his hometown and says that there's one true God. 
He then, uh, with God, um, defeats the Midianites and the Amalekites, delivers God's people. It's amazing. He becomes the hero. But my, the, it's funny to say my favorite bit, but the bit I relate to the most comes at the end of Gideon's story. When all is said and done, it's like the end of the Goonies, and they've got the treasure, and the credits start to roll, and everybody's hugging, and it's high energy, high fives, good time. Except Gideon doesn't roll off into the sunset. He picks up a pair of golden earrings that one of the Midianites left behind. He melts them down, turns them into a golden idol, and the people start to worship it. He makes a massive mistake. In fact, the very first thing he did with the Lord was to tear down idols. And then the last thing we read about him doing is he creates an idol. He turns from God. The reason why I relate to that passage the most, that, that moment in his story the most, is because actually it reminds, it reminds me of me. Gideon, despite doing an amazing thing, despite doing great things with the Lord, he's still frail, he's still human, he's still weak, he still makes mistakes. That despite crawling out of the hole and going and doing an amazing thing with God, despite God separating the wheat from the chaff and using the chaff to do a great thing, despite all of that, he still messes up. That is the story of my life. That's the story of my life. I don't stand up here with it all worked out. I don't stand up here perfect. I don't stand up here living this stuff out every single day in my life because there are days that I really don't. There are days that I get it wrong. There are days that I deliberately make mistakes. There are days that I crawl back into the hole. But the game's changed now. You see, in the time of Judges, God raised up a particular person for a particular people at a particular time. But about a thousand years after those events, God sends one more judge. And this judge is to be the final judge. And this judge isn't just for a particular people at a particular time in a particular place. This judge is for all people, for all of time. He sent himself. He wrapped himself in flesh. He grew up a refugee in one of the poorest parts of the world, in a small fishing community. And he transformed the world by spreading his message of life and hope. He said, I have come to set you free. I have come to deliver you forever. You see, in Judges, uh, God is delivering a whole mass of his people from a whole mass of enemies. But when he sends the final judge, he comes to deliver each and every individual one of us, to deliver us from our sin, to deliver us from our fear, from our shame, from our brokenness. And he finished the job when he died on the cross and rose again three days later. He finished the job. The way that the game has changed now is when he, when he delivered me, he said, it's time for you to go out to the world. That when I crawl back into that hole, he still comes to me, but this time not as a stranger, but as my beloved father, as my closest friend, 
And he says, Josh, and outstretches a hand and says, you're a mighty warrior. Get out that hole. We've got great things to do. And he invites us all to go and do great things. Sometimes it's hard for us to translate the story of Gideon because Gideon does this really specific, massive thing. And we think, I don't know what God's calling me to do. I want to get out the hole. I don't know what God's calling me to do. Jesus wants you out the hole that you might live life in all of its fullness, that you might know his love first and foremost. And then the mission that you're on, the calling that you've got, is to love God and love people. That's it. So when you think about your workplace, or you think about your university lecture, or when you think about uh, your classroom, or when you think about wherever it is you go, your flat, your street, Wherever it is, you're there to love God and love people. You're there to go and do greater things than he ever did. You're, the, the growth of God's kingdom here in Edinburgh is now passed on to us. We get to partner with Jesus and grow his wonderful life-giving kingdom here in our city. We get to do that today. That can start now. God is desperate to use the least, to use his people to do great things. My question to you is, are you up for it? Are you up for the call? Are you up for for telling that stranger that God loves them? Are you up for for crossing a, a line in a friendship to hand them an alpha card and say, hey, do you know that thing that we sometimes talk about? Do you ever want to hear more about it? Or when you see the vulnerable and the broken out on the street, are you going to say yes to giving them the love and the warmth that Jesus is calling us to? I believe that God has great things to do in our city. I believe he's got great plans and purposes for Edinburgh. I believe that his heart is to see the lost saved, to see the broken made whole, His heart is to see broken families know the peace and the love of Jesus. His heart is to see the poor and the destitute know the wealth that is found in the love of God. His heart is to see his lost children come home, come back to the party that they were made for. He wants to do that in our city, in our time, through you. There are three positions, I believe, that we fit into when we read the story of Gideon. Position A, it's like the very beginning of the story. You've never come out of the hole. You've, you, know, you know fear, or you know stress, or you know worry, you know anxiety, you know pain, you know suffering, you know life without purpose, you know giving up, but you don't know anything else. But maybe tonight you've heard the voice of the Lord say to you, come out of that hole, mighty warrior. I've got great things to do. Maybe you're in position A. Maybe it's the very first time. Or maybe you're in position B. Position B is uh, you've come out of the hole. You've said, okay, God, I'm a bit nervous. I don't feel very qualified. I feel like the least. But okay, if you're going to use me, if you're real, I'm going to do this. You're fired up. You can feel the Holy Spirit inside of you. You can feel that that burning passion, that burning desire to go and reach the lost and see his plans and purposes come to fruition in his city. And you're ready to see fruit. 
You're ready to see your friends and your family who you've been praying for for so long come to faith. You're ready to see your workspace changed. You're ready to see people healed. You're ready to see people delivered. Or maybe you're in position C. Position C, position C is probably a bit more like me sometimes, or a lot. Position C is uh, you felt the passion, you felt the fire, you've said yes, you've come out of your hole. But maybe you've become a bit of a mistake maker again. Maybe despite the great things, you've fallen flat. But tonight, you're thinking, I want to hear that voice. I want to say yes. And I want to do great things. I want that fire in my belly again. Position C is a bit like position A because they're both in a hole. But position A, it's the first time. Position C, it's the hundredth time. And in a moment, um, in fact, I'm, I'm going to invite the band to come up now. And, um, and we're just going to pray. And I, I'm going to pray really quickly for us. And we're just going to pray that, uh, that God and, the, uh, and his Holy Spirit would fill us and do something in us amazing. And this, this might be completely new to you. You might be new to church. That's okay. Just say yes. Just have an experience. See what God might have for you this evening. You can question it and doubt it as much as you like. But maybe God wants to speak something amazing to you tonight. Maybe he wants to speak life into your whole. Or maybe he wants, to, he, he wants with you to see the fruit come to fruition. He's saying now is the time for your family members to come to faith or your friends to come to faith. Or maybe he's saying, okay, yeah, it has gone flat for a bit. And some things have gotten in the way. Let's do some business. I really believe that uh, when I was praying for tonight, I really believe that God wanted to make tonight a milestone for us. A milestone in our hearts. A milestone is when, when we place a stone in the ground because we've seen how far we've come and we've seen what's ahead of us. It's a significant moment in our faith. And I believe that God wants to do that in us tonight.